Living Hope is a church striving to become a 21st century apostolic church. We are founded upon the belief that the Bible is the inspired, infallible Word of God. We believe in the Great Commission, and we are endeavoring to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with love, mercy, and truth. Listen in as we share the Word, and that, through Jesus Christ, hope is alive. If you'd open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 12, and we're going to use this portion of Scripture as our uh, foundation for the next 12 weeks of Bible study. So obviously it won't be the next 12 weeks uh, from the calendar standpoint because already next Wednesday we won't be having the Bible study. So, uh, But the next 12 weeks that we get together for this study, we're going to be looking at this theme. Uh, the, the title of it sounds a little dark, but uh, I promise you it's not as dark as it sounds. Uh, however, I think, in fact, I, I'll share this in a moment, but the title is The Twelve apostles of hell and there's a uh, database of uh, graphics that that are made available to churches and I went online and typed in the the term hell so that I could get a graphic which is where I got that one from and there's only one graphic in this whole database for the topic of hell all right there's if I were to type in the word love thousands heaven thousands Literally thousands, grace, mercy, all right, but only one slide for hell because we don't want to talk about it. But it's a real place. I want to tell you that first of all, all right, it's a real place, and I really don't want to go to that real place, amen? And so I, I, I think that we're not doing people a service when we don't talk about the reality of eternity. Now, that's not what this series is about, but uh, you know, I'm not going to shy away from using the word hell in my topic tonight because it's a real thing. Um, Ephesians 6 and 12 says that we wrestle not, it doesn't say we don't wrestle, it says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, all right? Our battle isn't with others, it's not even with ourselves, but it's against principalities, it's against powers, and against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Amen. The Lord bless you. Thank you for your standing. You can be seated. Uh, through this series... Everybody have a handout if you don't have one yet. Raise a hand and we'll get one to you, all right? Keep your hand up if you would. The ushers are working to get those passed out. Uh, just some fill in the blanks, all right, to keep you tied into what we're talking about. Maybe something you could file away, keep all those together for the whole series. Keep those hands up. Are we running out of copies? All right, hands up real high. Through the series, we're going to be dealing with the idea and the practice of spiritual warfare. And when we begin to deal with the topic of spiritual warfare, there are some that would prefer the ostrich approach. And that is if I just bury my head in the sand, if I just pretend there is no devil, if I just pretend there is no enemy, if I just don't bother the devil, he won't bother me. Supposing that if we don't engage in the fight, then the enemy won't attack. Now, let me assure you tonight, the issue is not whether or not the enemy is attacking. The question is, are you fighting back? Or is your spiritual being simply being looted by an enemy that is rummaging through your undefended and unguarded mind and soul? 2 Corinthians 
chapter 2, verse 11, Paul declares that we are not ignorant concerning the devil's devices. The Amplified Version states that phrase, that we are not ignorant of the devil's wiles and his intentions. Amen. We don't need to be unaware of the tactics of the enemy. And the portion of that verse preceding it, there is a portion in front of that, and it says, lest the enemy should gain advantage of us. They're tied together. The reason that we can't be ignorant of the enemy's devices is because if we stay ignorant, we give the enemy an advantage against us. When we have knowledge of the attack of the enemy, I think this is the first blank on your page, when we have knowledge of the attack of the enemy, let me pause. How many of you need a pen to go with that paper? All right, we have pens. You can prick your, I'm kidding. We'll get some pens. All right. We got pens coming around. If you'll raise your hand, they'll get you a pen. When we have knowledge of the attack of the enemy, how he will attack, when he will attack, what weapon he will attack with, and how we can combat his attack, it negates the ability of the enemy to gain the advantage in our lives. All right, leave that up for just a moment for those uh, that slide up, if you would, for those that are filling in the blanks there. When we have knowledge of how the enemy will attack, when he will attack, what tactic and weapon he's going to use, and then how we can combat that attack, it negates the ability of the enemy to gain an advantage in our lives. Now, in the context of 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11, where Paul makes this statement that uh, we are not ignorant of the devil's devices so that he can't gain an advantage, specifically in the context there, uh, Paul was addressing the enemy trying to bring division within the church over some kind of disagreement on how to deal with an individual that had offended the church body. There had been, Paul doesn't go into detail, doesn't tell us who the person was or what, their, uh, what offense they had uh, committed, but they had done some sort of a sin against the church body, and now there was some sort of division in the church on how do we handle this. And Paul is encouraging the church in, to forgive that person because he had knowledge that if we aren't unified in how we deal with this, that the enemy is going to exploit that and it's going to give an advantage to bring division into the church. So there is a supernatural authority in certain individuals that makes them effective in the arena of spiritual warfare. There is a supernatural authority in certain individuals that makes them effective in the arena of spiritual warfare. All right? So we're not to be ignorant concerning the devil's devices. Spiritual warfare is one identifying the attack of the enemy, and there are certain individuals that are more effective. So what, what differentiates those certain individuals that are more effective? First of all, it has nothing to do with pedigree or lineage. Does it? it has nothing to do with who you're related to. All right. Secondly, it has nothing to do with earthly wealth. All right. The demon of lust doesn't look at your bank account and says, I'll leave you alone because you're rich. Or, well, you're broke, so I'm not going to bother you. No, that's not the way it works. It has nothing to do with earthly wealth. It has nothing to do with secular education, which I think is one of the traps of the church today, is we think that we can educate ourselves into spiritual freedom. Not true. It, and lastly, it has nothing to do with personal charisma. 
So it's not an extrovert versus introvert thing. But the first of the attributes that is present in those that are increasingly effective in spiritual warfare is the ability to look beyond the traits that are being manifest or the traits being manifested to see and to identify the predominant spirit that is causing the issue. Those that are effective in spiritual warfare have the ability to look beyond what is the symptom and to see the real cause that is there. Now, our tendency as humanity is to focus on the evil attributes that are being manifest and ignore the predominant spirit that is instigating the attack. The comparison that I would use would be going to your doctor for, because you've got pain and swelling in your leg. And instead of the doctor running tests and doing different examinations to find out the cause, he just prescribes ice to bring down the swelling and Advil to help you with the pain. Now, if he would run tests and take the x-rays and do the examination, he would treat the broken bone that's beneath the surface. But just looking at it, I might not know that there's a broken bone there. All right, I, I, I might just, all I see is the swelling, and I know you're in pain, so I'm going to treat the symptom, but I'm really not fixing anything. Because when you leave there and the, pain, and the medication runs out, uh, uh, takes its course and the ice does its thing, well, the swelling's going to come back and the pain is going to multiply because all I've done is focus on the trait and not the real cause that is there. Now, we, in this last day, we cannot afford to be distracted by the symptoms that we can see and not find the spiritual cure for the cause that we cannot see. We can't afford in this day to just treat symptoms, to just say, well, this is the symptom. If we can just treat the symptom, then everything will be all right. We, we have to be effective and look beyond the symptom and find out what is the spiritual cause that's causing these symptoms. When we become overwhelmed with the traits that ungodly spirits manifest in our world, we often fall prey against the actual spirit that is causing the problem. We can become so focused on trying to tend to the, the trait, the symptom, that the, the, the real cause is just running rampant in our life and we're trying to treat the symptom. The Bible tells us in James chapter 4, verse 3, that we ask and we receive not because we ask amiss. You, you ask and you don't receive because you ask amiss. The word amiss is from an old Norse word that means so as to miss. Thus, this verse tells us that it's possible to pray for something to no avail simply because our prayers are so as to miss. With this in mind, to have genuine authority over the actual spirit manifesting the traits that you're seeing, we need to have a basic understanding of what it is that we're actually warring against. All right, if I'm praying over the symptom, I'm praying amiss. I'm not really dealing with what's going on. All right, so I have to have some knowledge then. What is it that's causing this? What, it, what, what is it that's causing this symptom? When I identify the spirit that's at the root of it, then I can pray effectively. Then I can ask and then I can receive because I'm praying effectively at that point. Every child of God should be mindful of the spirits that want to war against them against God's church, and against God's purpose. Amen. You should be aware. 
All of us should be aware. We need to know what spirits are we warring against. We need to know what spirits are coming against the church today. Amen? And we need to know what spirits are, are opposing God's purpose in his church and in my life in this world today. That is part of the purpose to which we have been called. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 18. I'm going to read from the Amplified Bible where Paul writes to Timothy and says, This charge and admonition I commit in trust to you, Timothy. In other words, this calling, Timothy, I'm committing to you. Timothy, my son, in accordance with prophetic intimations, which I formerly received concerning you, so that inspired and aided them by them, you may wage the good warfare. All right, Paul is saying, I've, I've got prophetic insight into the call of God that's on your life. And he says, I'm going to share these with you so that by the knowledge that I give you, you can fight against the enemy. You can wage the war that is coming against you. We need to be knowledgeable. Everybody in this building, you need to know, you need to be able to identify not just the symptoms, but the spirit that you're warring against because it's only when you have knowledge of the spirit that you can effectively war against it. Amen. Now, there are three main battlefields of spiritual warfare. Obsession, oppression, and possession. Obsession, oppression, and possession. And it's vital to our survival to understand just how real spiritual warfare on each of these battlefields is. Because I, my opinion is that until we get to the third of those, we don't really count it as spiritual warfare. When we get to the third one, all right, then, then we tend to take notice that maybe there's a spirit at work here. The three battlefields of spiritual warfare, obsession, oppression, and possession. Most often we discount the first two as simply being life. Well, that's just life. Or just the way I'm wired. The reason I'm having these thoughts and the reason I'm dealing with this, these uh, symptoms is just I, I'm an introvert, I'm an extrovert, or I'm a one, two, three, four, AWP, whatever all these personality tests they have out today. I don't even, what is it, WE31, R2D2, whatever they are. And, and we, well, that's just, I'm dealing with that because it's just my personality type. I'm dealing with that because that's just the way that I'm wired. When we don't understand that the enemy does, it's not just spiritual activity when it gets to somebody walking in and their head spinning around in circles or them levitating off the ground, right? If somebody walked in here tonight and, and, and elevated off the ground and hovered there, we would all hopefully be wise enough to say, there's a, spirit, there's a spirit acting up right now, all right? If somebody walked in here and began foaming at the mouth and, and, and a, a, a woman walked up here and masculine voices began to speak out of them and they began to foam at the mouth and, and, and those, you know, we, we, man, pastor, we might need to lay hands and, and cast out a devil because we understand at that point that there's demonic activity. But uh, we need to understand that the first two battlefields, obsession and oppression, are also spiritual in nature, equally spiritual in nature. First of all, obsession. This is where most of the spiritual warfare begins. And it happens when the adversary strives to consume your mind with such things as fear, jealousy, bitterness, or lust. 
It doesn't, obviously, again, some things, yes, we are a part of life, yes. All right? If a dog comes out at you barking and growling, fear is a natural response to that. We're talking about being consumed by it. Can't get out of bed. Can't sleep at night because fear is obsessing. Our minds are being controlled by fear. All right? Our, our thoughts are controlled, are, are consumed with lust and bitterness. And that's all, every time we try to think about anything, our minds, we are obsessed with these thoughts. All right? That's the first level of the battle is obsession. Next is oppression. So now we, we haven't fought the battle in obsession. So now it advances to oppression. And this is where it goes beyond obsession in your mind and your life starts to be affected. In this arena, you begin reacting negatively. Acting out to those things that have been tormenting your mind. It goes, it goes from just being thoughts that all you think about is that and now it begins, it begins to uh, contribute to the way you respond to the way you live your life in this stage you often experience things such as lack of sleep constant heaviness of spirit and sometimes even physical weakness because of the depth of the warfare this process is vital to the enemy as the physical weakness is grooming your body and your mind so that possession can take place the enemy is wearing you down so that it can pro progress to the final stage of possession. And this level, possession, takes place. And this first part is very important. When the individual has accepted the obsession as normal. That's just how it is. I'm, ju I'm just a fearful person. I'm just consumed with lustful thoughts. That's just the way it is, just the way it's going to be. Right? They accept that obsession as normal. Their resolve has been weakened by oppression to the space that they are being controlled by the spirits that torment them. So we accept it just the way it is. I would say even in the church, we just reason things away. Well, it's just the way it is. You have to walk around that person on eggshells all the time. That's just the way they are. No, there's a spirit at work there. All right, and we are just reasoning things away because until somebody walks in and starts barking like a dog and puking up green stuff, we don't think there's spiritual activity. Again, to be effective in spiritual warfare, you must be able to look beyond the symptom to the root of the problem. That's the first quality. And the second quality of the individuals that are increasingly effective in spiritual warfare is that they've you got to be skilled in how to deal with it. All right, so the first part is important. you got to be able to look beyond the symptom and understand that there's not a lot of people, I would say, in the modern church that are very effective in spiritual warfare. The majority of us are just caught in the symptom. All we can do, do is deal with symptoms. We never get beyond seeing beyond the symptom and seeing the spirit that's behind it. But even less are those that, okay, I can identify the spirit, but now you still got to know how to deal with it. Knowing what is coming at you is only part of the equation. Now, I mentioned a couple of months ago in our a Sunday morning prayer session about a scandal that uh, in Major League Baseball that this past Monday became even a bigger deal uh, the, as the, the commissioner and the executives handed down punishment um, it's shaken the whole world of Major League Baseball. But 
what they found is there were teams that had developed a system using technology that the batter knew before the pitcher threw the pitch, the batter already knew the pitch that was coming. Before a fastball was thrown across the plate, the guy with the bat knew what pitch was coming. Now, for a Major League Baseball player, that is a huge advantage because that baseball player is skilled. If I know what pitch is coming, I know what to do. Now, for me, if you came up and told me a 97-mile-per-hour fastball is coming or a 78-mile-an-hour curveball is coming, I don't care. It's not going to make any difference. I'm not going to hit the ball anyhow. All right, you, t- you can tell me a fastball is coming. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to hit the ball. Okay? I may know it's coming, but I don't know what to do with it. All right? And so it is that uh, for us today, we've we got to go beyond just being able to identify what spirit is at work. We need to also be skilled to know, now what do I do? How do I counteract? How do I combat the attack? How do I hit the 97-mile-an-hour fastball? Okay, how do I hit the curveball when it's thrown? Not just do we need to know how to deal with it, but we also have to want deliverance from the Spirit. That's a third really big asterisk I would put on that one. Because if you are skilled to know the Spirit and how to combat the Spirit, but you don't want deliverance from the Spirit, and I kind of like having those lustful thoughts. I kind of like that bitterness. I mean, I, I kind of like having those those. Those thoughts, that fear, you know, it's become a buddy to me now. I think it's uh, very telling how many times in the Gospels before Jesus would do a miracle, he would ask the person, what do you want me to do? All right. He asked the lame man, what do you want? I think, well, kind of obvious, Jesus, what he wants. He's lame. He's laying beside a pool where other people are getting healed. It's kind of obvious what he wants. But Jesus asks him before he heals him, what do you want? Because I think there are many people in the church that even if they could be delivered, they really wouldn't want to because they've gotten so comfortable living with that spiritual activity in their life that they wouldn't know what to do if fear was gone. They wouldn't know how to live if lust was no longer a part of their life and they're afraid to let God take that out of their life. Amen? Some of us, if we knew that the enemy was going to tempt us with greed, we would give the devil the bank account information to where to make the deposit. If the devil was going to tempt us with an immoral relationship, we would tell the devil what color hair and what color eyes we want the tempter to have. Knowing how the enemy is attacking and what he is going to attack with is an incredible advantage, but only if we know what to do with it. And so this series that we're starting tonight and the book from which the content is being extracted, the purpose of this series is, first of all, to help us better identify who the attacking enemy is and, secondly, how to deal with that particular adversary. All right, that's the intent of this series. Hopefully, at the end of this, you you don't just, well, that was really cool teaching, enjoyed that. You know, that that graphic you brought up was a little spooky, but everything other than that was really... No, I pray that at the end of this, you have the ability to look beyond the symptoms and identify what's really going on and then know how to engage in spiritual warfare and defeat the enemy. It is spoken as well as inferred throughout the Bible that there is a uh, governing hierarchy within the unholy. In the verse that we read to start in Ephesians 6 and 12, it talks about different levels of rulers. There are are principalities and there are rulers of darkness in high places. Well, if there are rulers of darkness in high places, then there's 
probably rulers in low places as well. And so there is a hierarchy of the unholy. These 12 spirits that we will identify and investigate are intentionally highlighted within the Bible. They're called out within the scripture as being spirits that we battle against. The fact that there are 12 of them should not be surprising. For everything that God does, the enemy always tries to imitate. And just as Jesus chose 12 apostles to shake their world and pass the gospel on to now our generation, the enemy also has chosen 12 apostles, 12 predominant spirits to shake everything that can be shaken. And so tonight we're going to begin this series. The first among hell's 12 apostles that we will consider is what the Bible terms as the spirit of heaviness. The spirit of heaviness. The first apostle of hell identified in Isaiah 61 and 3 where the prophet Isaiah proclaimed to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Now both within our world and within the church today, I would say there is a host. In fact, I might even say a majority of those within the church even who are plagued by the demonic spirit of heaviness. The author of the book, uh, The Twelve Apostles of Hell, Bishop Doug White, lists the traits that are often manifest with the spirit of heaviness when that spirit is at work. And I put those up on the screen. I'm going to read through them. I think they're also there on your page. Bitterness. Continual sadness. Again, if you get sad once in a while, all right, that, that's not what we're talking about. Continue. You, you just can't get happy. Crying. Cutting. Cutting yourself. Just clarify that. Defeatism. Dejection. Depression. Despair. Despondency. Dissociation with reality. Discouragement. Easily hurt feelings. Fatigue. Gloom. Gluttony. Jesus, help us all coming out of holidays. All right. That wasn't a devil. That was just the holidays. Grief. Guilt. Heartbreak. Hopelessness. Indifference. Insomnia. Lethargy. Loneliness. Mourning. Negativity. Pressures. Rejection. Self-pity, suicide, I would say suicidal thoughts, torment, troubled spirit, always just feeling like something's not right in your spirit, just constantly feeling that, weariness, and a wounded spirit. Again, those are traits, those are the manifest traits, and many times, I would say, we get stuck trying to deal with these symptoms, and we would, as we read through this list, well, that, I've been trying to overcome that symptom. We've been trying to find a solution for that symptom. Well, in, again, not every case. There are cases where you're just sad because you, your dog died, right? Or you're, you've been gluttonous because the holidays were just here, all right? I'm not, I'm not saying that's okay, but anyway, just fess up to it and say we're all guilty, all right? Uh, but, 
But when, when these things are continuing to occur, obsession, that first, that first battlefield, obsession, when you're, when you're obsessively lonely, that even in the crowd of people you feel lonely, that, that just that constant defeatism, that no matter the good things that are happening, you always feel defeated. You never, even when you're victorious, you feel defeated. Even when you're winning, you feel defeated. All right? We're dealing with the spirit of heaviness. Now, looking back at a few of these traits and how they point back to heaviness. So how do these traits, how do we point them back and know that they are pointing to heaviness? Well, have you ever seen someone that is plagued with continual sadness or negativity? They're always negative. Anybody? Don't point at that person. I'm just asking a question. All right? That person who is continually sad, just, oh, I mean, Eeyore, you know, that if Winnie the Pooh's buddy, that just always a rain cloud over him, always negative, always bad news. Nothing ever good is happening. It's always negativity. All right? People who, regardless of good things that are happening in their life, they seem to automatically revert back to sadness. All right? It's as if they're driven to look for a ray of darkness through the light that is shining in their lives. i got to find, there's got to be something negative in this, right? If somebody does something good for them, they're trying to find, well, what is the dark motive behind why you did this good thing for me? All right, that is a, that's pointing back to a spirit of heaviness. No matter the good news, there is a negative explanation. Good things happen. Well, I can explain. Just wait. It'll get bad. You just wait around. It'll get bad. Right? Well, I, I know the doctor said everything was all right, but that's probably because you know, it, it just hasn't manifested itself in my body. They have a way to explain every good thing away into being negative. Now, we're aware of situations like this all around us, and perhaps even in our own lives. But in most cases, they're never seen as the spiritual warfare that they are. We just think, well, that's the way it is. I'm just a negative person. I'm just a sad person. I'm just gloomy. No, there is a spirit at work. Let me, if you got the Holy Ghost, if Jesus Christ, the one who overcame death, hell, and the grave, do you think his intention was that he came to be your Savior and to fill you with his spirit so that one day when you get to heaven, then you can be glad and then you can be filled with joy? No, the Bible says that the fruit of the spirit, amen, it says that the, that the spirit, in the spirit there is righteousness, there is peace, and there is joy in the Holy Ghost. Now, not when we get to heaven, but now, amen? And so if you're dealing with negativity and you're dealing with always being sad and you can explain away the good things and, and find the bad in the good, I'm telling you that there is a spirit that is at work to rob you of the gift of the Holy Ghost and what God intended you to be walking in victory. Amen. Now, it should be noted that anything that obsesses, oppresses, or possesses you, and here's the key, that I want you to circle, underline, whatever you need to do. But when these things, when these thoughts and these mindsets possess you, oppress you, obsess you to the point that it hinders you from being everything God wants you to be. In fact, if you've said to yourself, because of one of these traits that we talked about, well, I, just, I can't be everything God wants me to be because of one of these symptoms. All right? Or I just give up trying to be everything God wanted me to to be because of one of these symptoms, then it is without a doubt it's spiritual warfare because that is the purpose of the enemy's warfare is to keep you from being everything God wants you to be. And so these symptoms are launched into your life to try to get you to just accept them as, well, that's just the way it is so you can stop living in the victory that God has for you and end up giving up on trying to possess everything that God wants you to be. Amen. 
I'm looking at my notes right now, and I think that I, I duplicated, so I'm going to make this statement again. No doubt there are individuals tonight, people you're connected to, that are fighting any number of the manifestations that we listed. How many of you could look at those and, and at least say, I'm, I battle one or two of those? Right? I, I, I think most of us can look at that list. How, how many of you can say that you battle obsession in some of those areas? If, if nobody else, I would tell you that in this last year, I've reading through this chapter, I have been under attack from the spirit of heaviness. And that's not from eating too much. That's not talking about eating too much at the holidays. Not, not, that, not that heaviness. All right, this continual obsession in my mind and this continual feeling uh, that, that no matter how good it is, something bad must be around the corner. All right? They're trapped by various demonic snares unleashed by the spirit. Now, we're afraid to identify with this because we think if there's a spirit warring against us, then we're an evil person. All right? You know, we don't, want to, we don't want to be lumped in with the people who their heads spin around in circles, right? And they foam at the mouth and, and, and demonic voices talk out of them. All right? So we don't want to admit that we war against these things. But broken, I'm going to identify some of these uh, way that they personify. Brokenhearted people who have suffered some sort of heart-wrenching pain they just can't get over. Leaving a heaviness on their life they just can't seem to rise above. There's a normal period of grief. But when you're grieving three years later over your dog that died, there's a problem there. All right? I would say it's normal to grieve and even a loved one that passed away. But if 10 years later, you still can't get out of bed in the morning because that person passed away, I would say there's a problem there. There's a spirit that's attached itself and found a, a, an entry in through your grief and that spirit is now destroying your life. People who had disagreements with family or friend leaving them with a load of bitterness that seems far too heavy to overcome. They may have even lost all desire to fix those relationships. Won't ask you to raise your hands on that one. But anybody gone through things where there was uh, bitterness in a relationship and you've just come to the point, you say, well, I don't even want to try to fix it. Individuals who are walking with a genuine salvation experience but who fight crippling depression, shoving their world under heavy weights of gloom and even suicidal thoughts. Souls that come into our congregations out of broken homes, domestic violence, and horrible backgrounds that leave them feeling hopeless and carrying the heaviness of a past for which God would readily forgive them. Amen. Do we believe that God will and can forgive anybody for anything? Come on, do we really believe that? Now, I know many times we believe that for the people in our community. If they come in because they don't have a background in Jesus, he'll forgive them. But I want you to know that applies to you as well. You don't have to be bound by guilt. You don't have to be bound by failure in your past. Amen. But there are some of you that you're under a spirit of heaviness because of something that you went through, because of a failure in your past. And the enemy has convinced you that you cannot be everything God has called you to be because of some failure in your past. People who live under a horrible, lingering loneliness, crushed by the heaviness of questions ranging from, why am I not desirable to anybody? And is there anybody out there who will love me? We all ask those questions from time to time. Does there, you know, am I not good enough? Or am I, you know, they're, they're better than me, whatever, right? That's just humanity. 
But again, we're talking about obsession. When you constantly, every day you wake up and you live under the, the weight of that, that, that you don't feel like you're good enough and, and you question every day of your life, does anybody love me? And, it, and then it goes to oppression where it begins to act out in your life that there's places you won't go and there's people you won't go around and there's situations that you avoid because of this heaviness. Individuals who have suffered the loss of someone precious to them and they now mourn daily, incapable of escaping the haunting heaviness of loss. And lastly, tormented people living under such a spirit of heaviness that they feel unrespectable and worthless, constantly living with hurt feelings even when there was no offense intended or inferred. I'm going to tell you that one's prevalent in the church. That one's real prevalent in our world today, but it's prevalent in the church where we constantly feel disrespected, where we constantly are getting our feelings hurt even when nobody intended it. We go up and say, this happened. You did this, and they're like, I don't even remember that. All right? Now, if that happens once, I mean, you, you know, but if it's happening constantly, you're dealing with a spirit that is at work in your life for the purpose of keeping you from being everything God's intended you to be. Amen. Unfortunately, when we're dealing with this last one that I talked about where we feel disrespected, even when nobody intended to offend us, all right, it doesn't matter whether or not the offense is real because the demonic spirit of heaviness has convinced you that you have been disrespected. Amen. The devil's sneaky, right? Convincing us. How many of you, the Bible says the, that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. So don't act like you never deal with this one. If you're a brother, well, that if you're a part of the body of Christ, it's not gender specific. If you're in the body of Christ, the enemy is at work to try to get you offended, to tell you that person walked by you and didn't shake your hand because they don't like you. And the pastor didn't come and greet you and he shook everybody else's hand, but not yours. And it was intentional because he doesn't love you. It's a spirit of heaviness. It's amazing how quickly those with easily hurt feelings put the blame on other people. It's, that, it's their fault. It's that one's fault. But if you're in this condition, the best thing that you could do is understand that the chip on your shoulder is your fault because you allowed a spirit of heaviness to linger around and now you become possessed by what you could have defeated when it first came against your mind. It's not everybody else. I've learned in life that if there are similar situations that I'm dealing with in multiple places, I'm the common denominator. The problem is usually me. Amen? Look for the, if you want to know where the problem is, look for the common denominator. And if you seem to be the person involved in all of them, it may just be that you're the common denominator and you're the problem. Now, it's not the offense of another individual. It is a demonic warfare that is being waged by a spirit of heaviness. It may have been a person that caused the offense or hurt, but at some point, the depth of heaviness becomes demonic. Even if that person did intend to hurt me, even if they meant to hurt me, I've got to get over it. I've got to forgive them. I've got to deal 
Because the enemy doesn't care if you imagine that hurt or if the hurt was real. He's going to use that wound to begin through obsession and then oppression and finally possession. But again, all the enemy really wants is you not to be everything God has destined you to be. And so the best thing that you can do is whether I imagine that you hurt me or whether you meant to hurt me, it doesn't matter. And some of us want to be uh, who, uh, the, you know, the, the, the uh, inspector gadget. We want to be Sherlock Holmes. Well, i got to investigate and figure out. Did you mean to hurt me? If you meant to hurt me, then I'm not going to forgive you, but I'm going to investigate. I'm going to wait around a while and see if you meant to hurt. It doesn't matter. Just settle it right now that if you meant to hurt me or you didn't mean to hurt me, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to let the enemy inflict me. I'm not going to let the devil oppress me, obsess me, or possess me. Amen? That I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to get rid of that. I'm gonna, why? Because I don't want the enemy to have an advantage. Amen? So many are trapped by this demonic spirit because, one, they don't realize they're facing spiritual warfare. People that are trapped by spirits of heaviness. I, there are people that I know right now that are part of, tied to this church that are act, it's acting out in their lives. Their lives have changed because of a spirit of heaviness. Now, they, wouldn't, they don't know it's a spirit. They think it's just you know, some going, going cuckoo, whatever. I'm going crazy. I'm losing my mind. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm a fearful person. It's my person. No, there's a spirit. And we need to, that, that's, the, that's the issue here is you can't defeat a spirit. You can't defeat a spirit through carnal means. Amen. You can't, you cannot get, my wife said a while back uh, concerning her, her dad's sickness that he's going with and just being frustrated with the devil. She said, I wish the devil would just show up in person so I could put my hands on him. I could, how many of you feel that way? If I could just have five minutes with the devil. Now, I, don't, I don't know if I really would want that. If he showed up, I might change my mind. But it sounds appealing. But you can't defeat the devil through carnal means. And so the quicker that we understand that there's a spirit at work, the quicker we can deal with it in a spiritual manner and we can get victory and go on to being everything that God has called us and intended us to be. The overall goal of the spirit of heaviness is to rip certain godly elements out of your world. You become so consumed with heartache that you can no longer feel joy. We become so consumed with bitterness that we can't feel peace. So haunted by hopelessness that we can't feel contentment. And so driven by an offense that we can't feel love. I'm just going to let you linger on those for a minute. Think about it. So, the fruit of the Spirit is available to any one of us in this room. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Not your Spirit, not my Spirit, the Spirit. If you got the Holy Ghost, they're available to you. And yet there are people here tonight that you can't remember the last time you had joy. And it's been so long since you had peace, so long since you actually slept through the night. You don't remember the last time you were content and when you would actually let down the walls and feel love in your life. Now, once you're aware of what the spirit of heaviness is trying to take from you, it becomes much easier to know how to wage war against it. Now, if you're willing tonight to just say, you know what, I don't care about joy. I don't want it in my life anymore. I don't care about peace. Big whoop. Who cares about peace anyhow? 
All right? I, I don't need contentment. I'm fine without it. Who, who needs love anyway? All right? If you're fine with that, then that's okay. It's just like, you know, just like I said with the, the, the baseball player. You, you know, the, the, the fastball is coming, but if you don't want to hit the ball, you're not going to hit the ball. Okay? If you don't want to get free from the spirit, you're not going to get free from it. But if you're here tonight and you look at those symptoms in your life and you feel the loneliness and you feel the bitterness and the offense and the enemy constantly getting you offended at people and over things that if you went to them and asked them, they wouldn't even remember that they did it. But you're possessed by that and you're controlled by it. If you want to get free from it, I want to tell you tonight that we can get free from it. It's time to get your joy back. It's time to get your peace back. It's time to find contentment in the Holy Ghost. And it's time to get love back in your life. So how do we do it? How do we hit the fastball? To take authority over the spirit of heaviness, you first need to strengthen those areas, the following areas that we're going to look at. That's how we defeat the spirit of heaviness. Step one, to defeat the spirit of heaviness that's trying to, to steal your joy, you have to involve yourself in things that will restore the joy in your world. And Brother Andre's got it easy. He married joy. For the rest of it, we got to work at it a little bit. Amen. If you want to defeat the spirit of heaviness, if you're always negative and down and good things are happening, but you're just waiting on the next bad thing to happen, all right, you're constantly bombarded with negativity, the first thing you need to do is involve yourself in things that will restore the joy in your world. We talked at the beginning concerning the prophecy of Isaiah, which identified this unholy spirit of heaviness. But Isaiah didn't just identify the spirit of heaviness. He also identified one of the solutions to defeating it. Anybody want to know what it is? Put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. You want to know one of the solutions? Amen. It's praise. Amen. There's joy in praise. Amen. Joy comes when we enter into a place of praise. One of the solutions to defeating the spirit of heaviness is become a worshiper and lose yourself in praise. It's amazing to me that people, the very ones that are dealing with heaviness, they never praise. They think, well, I'm more defeated. Why pray? No, that you need to be the ones out worshiping everybody. Amen. If the enemy's been coming at me all week long with sadness and gloom and doom and, and accusing my brother against me and telling me that everybody's out to get me, well, the first thing I'm going to do on Sunday morning is push past the crowd and find me a place to praise God because when I enter into a place to praise, it begins to stir the joy of the Lord up in my spirit. I don't just praise so you can see the way I worship. I'm not lifting my hands so you can see the, the way that I worship. I'm praising because I'm fighting a real devil and I'm going to put on the garment of praise because that is what defeats the spirit of heaviness. Amen. Come on, you need to become a radical worshiper. Those of you that are dealing with heaviness in your life, if you identified and you said that trade and that trade, I've been battling with that, let me tell you the first way to get victory over that is stop being a bump on a pew and become a dedicated worshiper. 
even. Now, let me tell you, worship started in, 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 the, in the heavenlies. And the devil tried to duplicate what belongs to the church. Amen. The first worship chorus was the angels singing how holy God is. And the devil has duplicated that and he's taken song and using all kind of evil ways. Uh, the dance began in the heavenlies. Amen. As those, as those angels danced around the throne uh, declaring the goodness of God. Uh, and the devil has taken the dance and used it for sadistic and evil ways. But even in the, the realm of the evil, did you know that today they use dance as a form of therapy? Dance therapy, where they tell people that are battling depression and, and these symptoms that we're talking about, even the world knows that there is a cure because when people begin to dance, there is a joy that comes. Well, if you can dance a worldly dance and joy come, let me tell you what begins to happen when you begin to dance before a holy God and you begin to praise a God that is high and lifted up, it begins to stir joy within you and that stronghold of heaviness is defeated. Amen. The enemy has lied to the church and told the people of God that clapping hands and dancing is just a bunch of exercises in emotionalism. It's way more than that. It's an act of spiritual warfare. Come on, we used to sing, if you don't want to praise him, don't you hinder me. Amen. I feel like praising him. I'm going to overthrow the spirit of heaviness by putting on the garment of praise. No individual warring against a demonic spirit of heaviness should ever allow themselves to sit back and dissociate from the flow of joy that comes in praise. Ever notice that when praise is going on in the church and we're worshiping, that you start looking around just smiling at each other? It's just joy that comes in the flow of praise. And it's not because the music sounds perfect. It's not because everybody's clapping on beat, which rarely happens anyhow. Amen. But it's because that when you begin to praise God, it ushers in a spirit of joy. And, and, and if you have, are starting to battle any of these symptoms in your mind, you need to make up in your mind that there will not be one Sunday in 2020 that I allow the enemy to cause me to sit back and simply be a spectator in the house of God. I'm going to be a worshiper and I'm going to be a praiser because I'm not going to let the enemy move me from obsession to oppression. I'm not going to let the enemy distract me from being everything that God has called me to be. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, we find a perfect example of heaviness being defeated by the presence of joy. Here in this chapter, David, whom the Bible describes as being a man after God's own heart, faces one of the most discouraging moments in his life. Talk about discouragement. He and his men had rushed. They had been out fighting a battle in the name of Jehovah. They were doing a good deed, but they come home to find that their homes have been destroyed and their families have been taken captive. And the scripture provides a setting of an overwhelming spirit of heaviness. 1 Samuel 30 verse 6 says, David was greatly distressed. That's that can't get out of bed in the morning. Just don't even feel like going to get a cup of coffee. I don't even feel like putting my shoes on. I just want to stay in bed all day. Greatly distressed. Why? Because the people spake of stoning him. That's a good reason to be distressed. The people spake of stoning him 
because the soul of all the people was grieved. It's, it's a spirit of oppression. It's a spirit of heaviness. It's not just David that's facing this. And I would say this because I know that in 2019, I fought against the spirit of heaviness. I didn't know exactly what it was until I started reading this book. But I know now that in 2019, I fought a spirit of heaviness in my life like never before. And so I know if I did, there are others in this church uh, that you've been fighting against the spirit of heaviness. Uh, that is one of the tell signs uh, that you're fighting a spirit. Is it's not here and there. It's multiplied throughout the church. The people were grieved. Every man for his sons and for his daughters. It wasn't just David facing. It was a prevalent presence pressing against David as well as his men. But before David could go and fight the enemy and take back what had been stolen from him, he first had to fight the spirit of heaviness that was attacking his mind. The Bible said David was greatly distressed. And you cannot defeat a devil while you're distressed. You can't get your joy back while you're distressed. Those of you that are trying to be everything God called you to be, but you're fighting against distress and against despair and against negativity, the first thing you need to do is defeat the spirit of heaviness. And then you can go and get back what the devil stole from you. There is much wisdom in realizing that you are not Equipped to attain some victories until you first fight battles plaguing your mind. Notice that others facing the same spirit of heaviness, what did they do? They turned on David and they entertained the notion of killing him. Now this response is common among people who are tormented by a demonic spirit of heaviness. We begin to turn on one another. Amen. We're, we're facing this spirit of heaviness. So, but rather, again, because all we can see is the symptoms, and that's what we focus on. So instead of dealing with the spirit that's behind it, we begin to turn on one another. These men are so unprepared to wage war against the spirit of heaviness, they instead turn to war against those around them. It's as though because they refuse to pursue God's joy and quit being miserable, they insist on making somebody else miserable with them. I know nobody said amen there because that doesn't happen, right? That's so absurd. Pastor, who would ever do such a thing? Amen. There are spiritual victories that you cannot attain until you first engage against the spirit of heaviness that is attacking your mind. But the Bible tells us that David knew exactly how to wage war against the spirit of heaviness because here's what the Bible says. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David understands before I can go get back what the enemy stole from me, the first thing I got to do is I got to get my joy back. The first thing I got to do is I got to defeat the spirit of heaviness. Before I can go to Ziklag and get back what the devil stole, I got to first defeat this spirit by getting a grip on joy. Amen. If you want to be everything God created you to be, the first thing you need to do is get your joy back. The first thing you need to do is decide today, I'm not going in another Sunday without getting my joy back again you can know what pitch is coming you can even know how to hit it but if you don't want to hit it you'll stay in the batter's box sometimes we become so familiar with this spirit of heaviness and even as I'm reading to you the prescription for defeating it some of you that won't work that won't work that won't work I'm not even going to try it that won't work Step two, to, rob, to rather not to rob, but to stop 
the spirit of heaviness from robbing you of your peace, you have to separate yourself from things that will pull peace away from your life. Now this takes a little bit of maturity and a little bit of awareness, but we need to identify things that we are involved with that bring turmoil into our spirit. Amen? There are some environments, some entertainments, some individuals that have a way of reinforcing the spirit of heaviness by pulling peace out of our lives. To fight the spirit of heaviness that is attacking your peace, you must separate yourself from those elements. Now, I'm gonna make a very profound prophetic word here right now. Actually, it's common sense. But some of you might see it as prophetic. But I'm gonna forecast that we're going to see a tremendous increase in the spirit of heaviness in this coming year as the election draws near. Now, I don't care what channel you watch, CNN, Fox, I don't care. I don't care what newspaper you read, what website you visit. The news is designed to rob you of your peace. I'm not asking you not to vote. Do your duty as a citizen and vote. But I want to encourage you tonight, stay away from that junk as much as you possibly can. For myself, I had to identify every time I click on the news and I read those stories, my spirit begins to get stirred up. I, I begin, it's not a holy indignation. I just start getting angry. And I had to understand what is that? It's a spirit of heaviness. It's the enemy trying to rob me of my peace. And some of you are more concerned with politics than you are with your own soul. I've come to let the devil know I'm going to get my peace back. You're not going to take away my peace. I'm more concerned with my peace than I am over who's going to be president. Again, I'm not telling you not to vote. Study enough to know the, the, the main issues and where they stand on them and cast your ballot. But I covet my peace more than I covet a president. Amen. I covet my peace more than I do who's going to be in the office. Some of you, I'm really grinding your spirit right now. Because you absolutely have been deceived into thinking that who's in the White House is going to save our nation. Can I tell you, in the last two presidents, I'm not going to, I know you dabble here a little bit, you start, things get a little edgy in church, but I'll just dabble a little bit. The last two, the, the sitting president and the previous one couldn't be more opposite than one another. They couldn't be more opposite, and yet our nation is about the same place. Not much has changed. Now, it's all... The, the media is keeping it all stirred up, but there ain't a whole lot that has changed. It lets me, you know, we still got freedom in our nation. We, we had it then and we got it now. All the same things that we had, maybe a few things have changed, but not much. Has, it really doesn't matter who's in the White House. They're not in control. God is in control. So I'm asking you, if you covet your peace, get rid of the stuff that's robbing you of your peace. Get rid of the things that are stealing your peace away from you. If you can't watch a football game without cussing and losing your mind, turn the TV off. Amen. Your football team loses so you don't come to church for three weeks. That ain't God. Come on. That, that, if you can't see the devil is involved in that, Amen. 
get rid of things. If you're going to get your peace back, if you're going to defeat the, 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 the spirit of heaviness and get your peace back, you've got to separate yourself from things that are robbing you of your peace. Step three, to fight the spirit of heaviness that is devastating your contentment, you have to avoid attitudes of hopelessness. Amen. To fight the spirit of heaviness that is devastating your contentment, you have to avoid attitudes of hopelessness. As a child of God, you should always be aware that there is no such thing as hopeless in God's eyes. There is nothing that our God cannot fix. There's nothing that our God cannot change, and there's nothing that our God cannot overcome. This knowledge should encourage you to silence. When the enemy says there's no way, you need to rebuke that. That is not your nature. That is not who you are in Jesus Christ. You need to rebuke that and say, in God, all things are possible. When the enemy says you'll never overcome that, you need to recognize that is the spirit of heaviness. Amen. That yes, I can overcome this and I'm going to be content in knowing that God is in control. And step four, to reject the demonic heaviness of bitterness that crushes your ability to love, you have to focus on forgiveness until every sign of bitterness has been purged from your heart. The cruel heaviness of bitterness will never be overcome until there is a deep, sincere forgiveness in the depth of your heart. Now, bitterness cannot be rebuked. Can't, well, I rebuke bitterness in Jesus. It ain't going nowhere. Well, I'm going to fast until bitterness leaves. It ain't going nowhere. Fast, pray, rebuke, do all you want to. Splash holy water all over your house. Bitterness ain't going nowhere. You're just going to have watermarks all over your house. The only remedy for the lifting of bitterness out of your life is forgiveness. The only way you can deal with the heaviness that comes through bitterness, you're not going to pray it out of your life. You're not going to fast it out of your world. The only remedy is I must forgive. Amen. I've got to let go of that offense that has grown in my spirit. Why? Because it's robbing me of my peace. It's robbing me of my joy. It's robbing me of my contentment. Amen. Stand with me. In summary, the best way to fight the spirit of heaviness, the various demonic manifestation that it tries to use against you is to enter into warfare. Recognize it for what it is. Amen. Many of us, we've, we've been so focused on the symptom and all along that spirit is running rampant in our lives. We've just excused it away. Well, that's just the way I am. I just had a rough year. I'm just having a hard time getting over old Fufu's loss three years ago. That's, that's somebody's dog, all right? That's Fufu. I'm just having a hard time forgiving that person. I'm just, it's just difficult for me. And we excuse it away. And all the time, we're not growing in who we're supposed to be in Jesus Christ. All the time, there is no spiritual growth taking place because we've lost sight that there is a spirit that is at work. But we're going to make up in our mind tonight, I'm getting my joy back. Come on, I'm getting my joy back. I'm going to get a grip on joy. I'm going to worship and I'm going to praise. I'm going to involve myself in things that bring joy into my life. Amen. If you're having a tough time with depression, don't go sit at the funeral home every day and just be one. In the Bible, they had paid mourners that would show up and cry at the funerals. 
Amen. Don't, don't get around negative things if you're dealing with, with, the, with depression and discouragement. Get around positive people. Get around people that are going to speak life. Do like David did and encourage yourself in the Lord. Amen. I don't need a, a church full of people to praise the Lord. I can be all by myself and begin to praise the Lord and worship him. Everything's going to be all right. God's got it all in control. Amen. When good things come into my life, I'm not going to say, well, I can't enjoy the good because I know something bad is coming. I'm just going to lift my hands and say, Lord, thank you for this blessing. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity opportunity so raise our hands together I rebuke the spirit of heaviness that has come against this congregation I rebuke the spirit of heaviness that has come against my my mind and my thoughts I, I rebuke the spirit of heaviness that has robbed my joy I come against right now and rebuke the spirit of heaviness that has robbed me of my ability to have joy in my life that has stolen away my peace that every time something good happens in my world I'm waiting for something bad to come I find myself looking for the negative even in the midst of the positive but devil I recognize you for what you are I recognize that it's not just my personality and it's not just a season of life that I'm in but devil you've been behind the scenes all along and you've been stirring up holy discontentment in my life but now we take authority over you in the name of Jesus we wrestle not against flesh and blood your battle is not against your brother or your sister Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without really knowing the exact path it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. So be sure to subscribe and watch us on Facebook Live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And also visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm going to wait on you. I'm gonna wait on you